Welcome to 5001, the Athletics Leicester City podcast. I'm Rob Tanner and joining me as ever is the man who needs no introduction, so I'm not going to give him one. It's Matt Elliott. How are you doing, Matt? I'm good, Rob. Thank you. Hanging in there as we have been for the last couple of months. What about yourself? Oh, it's like Groundhog Day, isn't it? Every day. Every day is the same. <laughs> well, I saw a bit on social media the other day. Everyone says it's Groundhog Day and half of them don't even know why they're saying it. They haven't seen the film. I don't know why, but it fits, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> They'll probably do the same tweet the next day and the next day as well. Very good, sir. Very good. Very good. But uh, join us today. We've got a special guest as well. We've got a fan, a Leicester City supporter, Ian, right in. Uh, give the listeners a little bit of uh, who you are and how long you've been supporting uh, Leicester City. You okay, mate? My, my, yeah, fine. Thank you, Matt. My, my first sort of proper season, if you like, was the um, the ninety two, the ninety one survival season, where you know the Tony James goal at Filbert Street. That that's one of my sort of earliest memories of Filbert Street. And I went quite a few games that season. But you know, then from that that point, I, you know, I've, I've lived through this incredible era of you know the playoff finals, the the League Cup wins, the you know the Premier League era, and then obviously going into what we've what we've gone through recently. So. You know, I do, I do feel very privileged to sort of live through it and sort of growing up with, with everything all going on at, at Leicester City. It's been great. So, yeah, I was a sort of a teenager through sort of Matt Elliott's time of playing for us, and it was you know a great times then. It's great times now. Was he one of your idols? Yeah, it's weird, and they always say this: they never meet your idols and stuff. But you know, I don't want to sort of suck up to Matt too much. But you know, he, he absolutely was. You know, when I, like I said, I was you know sort of been sort of early teens and stuff when Matt was playing and. It's been a pleasure on the few occasions that I have met him. So, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's been been strange. <laughs> I wonder what you were going to say then when you said don't meet your idols and then you do. I was going to say, Rob, you said it's been a pleasure to meet me on a few occasions. I wish I could say the same, Ian, but <laughs> thankfully we're... <laughs> no, I'm only joking. No, I'm only joking. We've come across each other's paths a few times, haven't we? And... Um... <laughs> I'm just pleased you didn't give us a game-by-game analysis there because I know how many (laughs) games you've attended and the detail with which you know everything. That would have been half the show over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the reason we've got Ian on today is because we're going to be debating a a couple of issues that uh, seem to polarise the supporters of Leicester City, um, the the period that Riyad Mahrez was at the club and then his his departure and the way he went about that departure and the reaction when he's been back to the King Power Stadium. But also uh, another feature that... um, I've written and it's been published on the Athletic website was an interview with Claude Puel, who's a manager that also seems to divide opinion amongst the fan base. So we'll be getting to those shortly. But um, before we carry on, guys, we've got football back. We've got football back. It might not be in this country. It might not be the Premier League. It might not be what we're used to. But we're, uh, we've all been tuning into the Bundesliga and getting into German football. Have you guys? I've kept weirdly. I did keep an eye on the scores and things over the weekend. I mean, it's not it's not really a league that I've paid a great deal of attention to. I probably have done a little bit more recently with sort of Jaden Sancho and one or two other English players going over there. But yeah, I must admit, I did quite like it Saturday morning, sort of going on to the betting app and you know sticking an acker on. It sort of felt a bit of bit of normality. So going to a German game would be something I'd really like to do once you know all these restrictions have gone and, and everything else. It does. When you've seen it, when the fans are there, it does look like a great experience and a great place to go and watch football. So, yeah, like I said, it's, it's one of them little steps, isn't it? Getting back to normality and, you know, hopefully we'll be able to, to follow suit in the not too distant future. What about you, Matt? Have you got a connection? Not particularly, Rob, if I'm honest. I've got a, you know, I haven't taken too much of an avid interest in the Bundesliga generally prior to the lockdown. And like everyone else, uh, you know, I'd like to see a game of football. Uh, of decent standard, decent quality, which of course it is. 
But I haven't got any real interest in it, uh, you know, in terms of it's a, it's a little bit manufactured, isn't it? You know, the fact oh, it's people sort of a little bit desperate just to, to get involved. And I understand why that is. But I, I can't. I haven't got a sort of a genuine passion for it. I saw the bits and pieces of the games. You know, the, the players can't celebrate properly. There's no crowd, obviously, and it, it's just you know there are players or staff on the sideline with masks on. I'm thinking if that's the situation, if that's how precarious it is, is it the right thing being out there and being up close and personal involved in a, in a game of football? I don't know. I don't know. I think. There's still quite a way for the Premier League to start, isn't there? And rightly so, because I think they need to get everything properly in place. And it just feels, I don't know, it just feels a little bit awkward to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a bit eerie with no uh, fans in the ground. But I think all eyes are on the Bundesliga now to see how they cope, what sort of reaction they get to returning to football. All eyes are on there. They are the test mark now, aren't they, really? And uh, I think that's why one of the reasons why it, there's so much interest. But I think also just the fact that We've got a bit of football in whatever form back, and we haven't had that for a while now. No, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I don't want to be a sourpuss. It's just, yeah, listen, it's better than nothing, that's for sure. Well, the guys from the Athletic all picked a team to sort of get behind during this period here. I have actually got a genuine connection with German football. I was born in Hanover and spent two years living in Mönchengladbach, so Borussia with my team as a kid. And I've got very fond memories of a 14-year-old me walking down with some of my mates down to the old Bockelberg Stadium to watch Borussia. I think we used to pay some like 14 Deutschmark, which was about three quid, to get in and stand on these old cobbled... <laughs> it was really was a wreck of a stadium. Quiet, yeah, quiet, well, forces lads. So a lot of them were in the eighties, and uh, they were oh, okay. sort of based around that Rhineland area. So um, that, that's that's a connection to Brussels. So I'm glad uh, the Folden Alpha back, and um, I'm getting behind them. F- funny enough, if I was going to pick a team, it would have been Borussia Mönchengladbach, because when I was a kid with the stickers. I'm sure, did, you might correct me on this, did Bertie Vokes used to play for Munchen? Yes, he did. Yeah, he that was did, before my they? period over there. Yeah, but Bertie Vokes played, yeah. Gunter Netzer yeah. played. Yeah, I Kiss, who was the manager big, when I was there. There you go, you know all about it. They were a big old side, weren't they, back then? And the name obviously sticks out. And um, used to collect the stickers on that. And So that would be my team. There you go. <laughs> we, we've got more well, in common than you thought, Rob. You're one of the foals now, from now on then, Matt. That'd be well, your team. What, one of the what? The Foles. <laughs> the Fallen Elf. The 11 Foles. Okay, of course, of course. Sorry, yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, let's move on to, to Leicester City stuff now, because um, as well as us picking German teams and writing about that, we've also been delving into um, some some topics for debate, and, and certainly I have with Leicester City, because a couple of my articles have caused a bit of a stir amongst the supporters. I sort of expected it, really. But um, the first one we're going to talk about, really, is um, Riyad Mahrez's legacy. Um, this all came about because he, just before the suspension of playing the Premier League, uh, Man City came to town and Riyad got um, a few boos from the, the Leicester fans and it caused a bit of a stir on social media, Ian. And uh, uh, I know that um, certain fans were going, well, what, what's, uh, is this true? Are they really booing a legend, a title winner, Riyad Mahrez? And there's others trying to explain why they were they're booing him and, and the reasons behind his departure to Man City and how he tried to force that. I mean, where does Riyad Mahrez stand for you in terms of the legacy at Leicester City, Ian? It's a really simple answer for me, Rob. He's one of the greatest players that's ever pulled on our shirt. Um, I, I, it, it was an honour to watch him play. He was magnificent for us. And I think 
I know that there's been a few comments since and that sort of thing, and that sort of thing does rub people up the wrong way. But for people to actually go and boo him at a game, I think that's absolutely bang out of order. If you're not happy with what he said, then, you know, sit on your hands and don't say anything. But I think ultimately, as time goes on, I think his contribution will be remembered more and more. And I, I think he will go down as one of the all-time greats. I'd love him to come back maybe towards the end of his career with a club or and, you know, we can get a proper send-off and a, a proper sort of goodbye because... For me, as I said, he, he was magnificent. Matt, he didn't help himself, though, did he? Certainly in terms of the way he went about trying to get his move to Manchester City and certainly the comments um, just before he's returned in Manchester City this season in an interview in France where he talked about wasting two years of his career at Leicester City, even though one of those years involved reaching the quarterfinals of the Champions League. That didn't help his cause, did it? No, it was um, ill thought out, wasn't it? If it was thought out at all. You know, the way... He conducted himself over that period, you know, he certainly didn't endear himself to the supporters and, and rightly so, I can understand it. You know, Leicester City in particular, or, or more than most maybe, although a lot of clubs will profess to, to have the same outlook, but the supporters, you know, first and foremost, they want that 100% commitment, they, they want endeavour um, and if you provide that, they'll forgive quite a lot. Now, Mahrez, he has that style of play, that language, you know, gates about him and the, the, the way he plays his football can look like he's relaxed. And when he's in full flow, it's magnificent. When it wasn't quite happening for him, um, you know, it could look like he didn't put the effort in and wasn't too concerned. And I think some people um, you know, picked up on that. And whether that was the case or not, you'd have to ask Riyadh. But that's the way it came across, and I think you know there's no excuse for that from from the supporters' point of view. But um, even so, <laughs> he, he's such a contradiction, really, Riyad, isn't he? You know, all the way through, because even when he was not at his best, shall we say, he would still do two or three magical things in a game. <laughs> you know that other players weren't capable of, and he was still capable of winning games for him, even though he looked like he was going through the motions for the majority of it. But he, um, you know, I, I think I can't back him up at all in, in the, when it gets to the extent of not playing games, you know, effectively going on strike as such. And, you know, you're being paid good money, whether it's, you know, that which is irrelevant. You're being paid, you're contracted. And, but I think as much as anything, from that professional sense, but also it flew in the face a little bit of what Leicester City were all about, in particular that Premier League winning year. You know, the, the, yes, the talent was there. Um, you know, the players were incredible, but it, they bonded and it just all came together. And I think, you know, that, that typifies the sort of Leicester City way. I mean, in an extreme manner, of course, on that occasion. But that's what Leicester City sort of think they're all about. And then when you see that being disbanded or or being tarnished, maybe is the right word, um, you know, by players... Having their their own <clears throat> excuse me individual situations, you know it wasn't good to see, and it didn't reflect well on Riyadh at all. I don't think. But then you know, also it needs to be appreciative. The club provided him with the opportunity to go and do what he does. But then he can turn around and say, "Well, listen, I help provide all you supporters the opportunity to celebrate winning the Premier League because without him, <laughs> Leicester didn't win it. They didn't win it. That goes back to my point. It was a collective, and it was disappointing." the way he acted. There's no doubt that, that what happened 
in the, the season after the title win and then the season after that, it was certainly unsavoury. And, and as a fan, it did hurt. You know, you're looking at one of your favourite players on there and, and you just, some of the stuff that came out really didn't put him in a good light at all. I, I do think, though, that he'd had some bad advice. I mean, his anger needed to be directed to really at the clubs that were trying to sign him because as far as I'm aware, Leicester didn't turn down any serious bids. I mean, you know, there was talk of that Roma one that was about half the price that what Leicester were looking for. So... I think there was probably a lot of frustration all round. Matt's absolutely right. You know, he he has ruined a bit of his legacy. But the way I'm looking at it is, I just don't think that we would have won the title without the contribution that he had. So that the fact that he the produced that for us and the great stuff that he did as he was at, when he was at the club, as a fan, I'm happy to. Not forgive the thing that came afterwards, but almost, you know, let time be a bit of a healer on that. And when we look back on it, for me, I will always look back and I will always sort of tell, you know, my children and, and, and grandchildren in the future or whatever, what a great player he was and what a great contribution he had. Well, I think for, for me, he was the most talented footballer I've ever seen in a City shirt. I mean, I just, there is a part of me that thinks, though, it's such a shame that he soured that in the way he did, you know, sitting in an airport in Paris. Uh, being nicknamed Victor Novorak by his, from the um, terminal by his teammates on his return, and you know the way he went about trying to force the um, the move, and obviously the, the subsequent comments. But the memories of, of him making three Villa players sit down with one little turn in one game, and some of the goals. I mean, how many times do we see him cut in off the right hand side, get it on his left, and bend it around the corner into the far corner? I remember speaking to Richie Delat, and he likened him to Lionel Messi. He said because you know he's always going to go on his left foot. But you don't know when he's going to go on his left foot. And that's the problem with a defender. You might think he's um, you're going to guess what he's going to do, but you just don't know when he's going to do it. And uh, it was such a phenomenal um, uh, player. And I can remember the one standout moment was standing in the mix zone at Swansea City during the title winning season. And it just come to the end of the Vardy run of goals. And when Vardy wasn't the match winner, Riyad was that season. And Riyad certainly was that day at the Liberty Stadium. To such an extent, Ashley Williams, the Swansea captain, was after him and came storming into the mix zone, shouting, where is he? Where is he? And Riyad had been bundled onto the Leicester team coach uh, out of the way. Um, so I don't know what had gone on there between the two. It must have been the frustration of uh, chasing his shadow all afternoon for Ashley yeah. Williams. It was uh, a remarkable Ashley Williams, afternoon. Ashley Williams wasn't chasing Jamie Vardy, though, was he? After Vardy had barged him into the <laughs> Crowd. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, he picked his target there, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I wonder what it was like um, being a teammate of Riyad during that period. We spoke to Dean Hammond recently and he told us what it was like having Riyad as a pal. Um, well, I wanted to ask you about another character that came in that year, Riyad Mahrez. Um, we didn't know a lot about him, Le Havre come over from France, couldn't speak English at first, L- looked like, well, I think it was uh, Steve Walsh who described him as a, a shirt with that uh, t- looked like two threads dangling down for his legs. <laughs> but uh, what was he like when he came in? Uh, well, it was interesting in training when you had him and Anthony on the same team because you just wouldn't get the ball. Um, they just, you know, both quality players, um, both exceptional with dribbling the, with the ball. But like you say, when he first came in, we didn't know much about him. Um, the, the recruitment and the scouting system at Leicester seems to be um, brilliant. They seem to find GMs all over the place, and he was one of them. Um, but he was—he's a likable person, Riyad. Really, really nice. Wanted to settle in, like you say, didn't speak any English, but learnt that fairly quickly. Um, I mean, he, he used to turn up to training late all the time, so it was good fun finding him. So we got a bit of money off him, which which helped the lads. 
Um, but no, really, really good player. Um, and I think his first goal, did he score against Blackboard at home when he curled that in the far corner? Um, yeah. So you could, you yeah, could it see, was going yeah. to be a stereotype game uh, goal for him, wasn't it? It was going to be going to see that yeah. regular. And you could see he was a special, special talent. Um, it was just whether that he could adapt to the English game, whether he could uh, get strong enough for the English game, whether he'd be happy to do the the other side of the game um, in terms of doing a defensive side. But he ended up doing that, and he was lucky because he had a manager like Nigel working under him. So. You know, he's been a brilliant signing or had been a brilliant signing for the club. When you talk about the other side of the game there, Dean, with, do you think Nigel had a, a a bit of a decision to make? Was it weighing up the odds? You say that about Riyadh and Anthony Kanokar. He looked at it and thought, can I afford the luxury of having both of those in my starting lineup? Because it must yeah. have been tempting, wasn't it? You know, to, to give them a go at least, give them a shot at it. I think, do you know what, in that year, in that championship year, I think he only done it once um, where he played them both. Or he didn't do it regularly, but I can remember one game where he played them both um, and we played Brighton at home and we lost. Did we lose 4-1, I think? Um, because they used to just both end up on the same side of the pitch because they both wanted the <laughs> ball and they'd be playing one, two, three, and it looked brilliant for the fans. Don't get me wrong, it was entertaining. But if you were playing in the middle of them, you'd be shouting and crying them to get back in, to get into shape. Um, but it was down to, Nigel was good at that because... He had to make a decision at some point, obviously, between the two because he couldn't play them both at the same time in the Championship, let alone in the Premier League. Um, so that must have been a difficult decision. But you can probably... I mean, Anthony Nuckard is a brilliant player as well. Don't get me wrong. Really, really talented and is doing great things. Has played in the Premier League with Brighton. He's at Fulham now. But I think Nigel probably, if you look at it, has made the right decision because Riyadh has, has turned into an exceptional talent. Different characters, though, weren't they, Mares and Knockout, weren't they? Or, or was Mares a bit different than we perceive him to be? Because we, you hear about him nipping out to a kebab shop after games to get his late night food before he met his wife and things like that. It, was there you another speak side as to if him? There's something wrong with that, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> you did that, pre- you did that pre-match, didn't you? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, go on. Back to Mares. <laughs> Yeah, what was he like? What was what sort of character was he? Riyadh, it was it was it was a bubbly character. Riyadh, he was obviously quiet when he first came in because he couldn't speak the, um, the language. Um, but we had obviously Anthony in the dressing room. Um, we had a couple of other French boys as well, um, which helped, and they could speak French together um, and translate. So he was quiet when he first came in, but he was always smiling, um, always smiling, always trying to understand. Love training, love it helped. Robbed it was easy because he loved football. So he just wanted to train. He wanted to play. He'd be in the he'd be in the big gym beforehand, playing head tennis, kicking around with the younger boys, be out training, come in, be doing the same thing. Um, but no, he was he was different to Anthony. Anthony was very emotional, really emotional player. Um, again, loved football. But if he wasn't in the starting lineup for one game, you know, it was the end of the world. Um, you know, he wanted to leave. His career was over, which was you know we can all get like that sometimes. But. Riyadh was quite calm, quite chilled in his manner. And like I say, would turn up late and just shrug it off and be, OK, look, I'm still going to be the best player in training, so just let it let it go. So, no, nice guy. He was a nice guy, Riyadh. Matt, have you ever come across a situation like that where a player who's so important, so popular within the dressing room has tried to get a move out of the club? Oh, do you know what? I was just mulling that over in my head as, as listening to Dean talking there you know, about the Murrows situation or Morris as an individual and you know it, they'd sort of um, 
backs up, endorses you know, the the perception you have of Mares as an individual. And I can see why things happened. You know, he's a more popular lad than he's probably thought of. You know, I don't think he's an awkward customer at all. And you're asking me a question. I can't think of any that in my day, I'm sure there were, but, you know, instances where players used to try and force the issue because, you know, it's often mentioned that the game has changed in terms, well, in many ways, but also in terms of players having that extra power now. They do. The contractual situation has changed. The amount of money involved has changed, hasn't it? And uh, as a consequence, you know, agents involved, as a consequence, players are much more aware. In my day, the manager was all-powerful, pretty much. Um, You know, it took a very brave and self-confident player to go up against the manager because... Unless you are absolutely, you know, vital and totally in, integral to the, the team's fortunes, there was only one winner. And that's often the case these days, to be honest. Although I think in Murray's situation, everyone was a winner, wasn't they? Or, or certainly, you know, similar with Harry Maguire, for instance. You know, all, all clubs have come out of it quite well and individuals. But um, in my day, the, I remember walking in myself, you know, wondering trying to negotiate a new contract, but it was the manager who decided to give me a new contract. You know, I had maybe six months of it left and you often used to have to run down to um, to the end of your contract, like now, to find out if you were going to get another one. Certainly when you were in the lower divisions, as I was for the majority of my career in the early part, but you'd walk in, the manager would tell you what you were getting and you were just like grateful, really. I said, okay, yep, thank you. And he said, I'll give you an extra £20, £50, whatever the following season. Yes, boss. Thank you, boss. And out you walked. <laughs> That's what it was like. It was a totally different kettle of fish. You know, I, I was at Oxford United and I was I was busting a gut to try and get in the Premier League. Um, well, actually, as I'm talking about it, things coming back to me, the chairman at, at Oxford United was a gentleman called... Robin Hurd, who's no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, but he was influential in the club and in the in the area. And they wanted me to stay. And they actually wanted me to stay. And they doubled my wages and everything. I said, no, it's not about that, Robin. This is my last, my first and last opportunity to play in the Premier League. So I actually went round his house on, on an evening and knocked his door. Uh, politely, he had his great big mansion-type house. And I knocked the door and said, sorry to bother you, Mr Chairman. I just wanted to realise how important this move is for me and my family and my career. You know, I'd love my time at Oxford, but I'm desperate to make the move. Could you please possibly make it happen? And he looked at my face and, it, you know, he took an air of resignation about his attempts to keep me there. Uh, But I I did it in the right way. You know, I I didn't go on strike. I didn't refuse to do this or that. I just just expressed my determination. And it worked. And uh, he gave me the opportunity to go. So... um, but um, it, it's it's not a common thing for players to the extremes that Rio Mara's went to effectively go on strike. You know, there's no defence for that sort of sort of actions, really. But the, the man who had to deal with that situation was Claude Puel. And this brings me on to the, the other feature that I wrote about his legacy as well as Riyad's. And uh, he again, this is a situation, a, a man that seems to divide um, opinion in amongst the supporters. I mean, when we published the interview in which he, he detailed, you know, what he was trying to do at Leicester City, how he tried to um, move the side on from the title winners, the ageing title winning squad to build a young, vibrant squad for the future and uh, the process he went through. And he did have some difficult moments to deal with. And Riyad Mahrez's situation 
was one of them. But when we published that, uh, some of the reactions on the, and the comments, certainly on social media and also on our website, um, some some fans were even indignant that we'd even interviewed him. You know, they didn't want to hear from him ever again, as if the, he should be erased from the history of Leicester City Football Club. I mean, how do you, where do you stand on the Claude Puel debate? Yeah, it's an interesting one. The thing that always I always think about with this, you know how the, you have the British cycling sort of mantra of you know marginal gains and that sort of got into like you know business speak and all sorts of different sports and things. I think the problem that, that Claude had was it, it was sort of marginal losses and there was there were so many things that he did do right and he, and he had sort of got like a good base to work from, but then these sort of marginal losses kept sort of detracting from that. So. I think when you look back at his time, I think it's got to be said, and I know that this sometimes is unpopular when you put this sort of thing out, it's got to be said that his English just simply wasn't good enough. So that isn't a criticism of his personality or his mantra or anything like that, but he just simply couldn't get across the message of what he was trying to do and what he was trying to achieve. And when you compare that to sort of how um, articulate and amiable Brendan Rodgers has been since then, and he's been really clear with you know what he expects from the players, what he expects from us fans, and s- sort of set out his vision, sort of thing. I think Claude, it all got a bit messed up. So I think there was that. I think also when you look back at his time, the biggest problem that he had was the home form. As a Leicester fan, you can never be in a position where you think we should win every single home game. But when you look at the results and and the results against teams in and around us. It, it was sort of relegation form, really. It was the away form that was keeping us, keeping us, you know, into the middle of the table. And I think over the period of the year that he was there, that that excitement of going to the games gradually ebbed away. You didn't have that feeling of, oh, we're going to win today. We're going to knock a few goals in. It's going to be, you're going to get home and enjoy your evening because you've seen and win. And there just simply wasn't enough wins for him in the home form. And I think you then look at how the team has gone on since and what it's been with Brendan Rodgers. I think ultimately it's just about levels and that Brendan Rodgers is, is a better manager than Claude. But I think that he did do some, some good work in amongst, in amongst all that. It was a difficult position for him sort of taking over from there. But ultimately the club made the right decision and that's been proven tenfold with what's happened in the season that we're partway through now. Matt, does he deserve credit for the way he transformed the team in terms of the, some of the players he brought in? Madison and Tielemans, he promoted Chilwell and Barnes. Some of these, and Suyunsu coming in as well. Johnny Evans was signed under him. So does Claude deserve more credit than he gets in some quarters? Well, I think he can He can certainly point to those players and, and certain you know, factors in his time at Leicester City and use them in any case of defence. I think, by and large, it, it didn't go to plan, did it? And I think there were you know, numerous reasons why that was. Ian's touched on a few. But, you know, in, in fairness, yes, um, bringing those players into the fold, how much or how many of those players were were introduced because of his direction or was it the initiative of the recruitment department as a whole? Um I've just realised, by the way, Dean Hammond was praising the recruitment department. I'm sure he's including himself coming to the club in the, <laughs> under that <laughs> statement as well. So uh, they don't always get it right, do they, Dean? Only playing some, sorry. But um, people have come into the club, yes. There are a few positives, but I think generally uh, the, the biggest problem for me was the style of football that he adopted for the team, stroke particular individuals, 
didn't suit. And, you know, it, it was trying to square pegs round holes sort of scenario, really, wasn't it? And I think you could see that. I think it was, it was a little bit of a problem, his demeanour and his, his personality, possibly, you know, and the fact that he doesn't speak English, etc., etc. But uh, to an extent, I'd agree with Ian in that maybe he couldn't get his points across, but I think you can. There's enough time, there's enough assistance from backroom staff, etc., to get your point across. I just think it was the wrong point, you know. And, and then... Also, the, the Jamie Vardy scenario, that's the one that springs to mind because it wasn't conducive to getting the best out of Jamie Vardy in the start of play. And then it was the it was it the game against Tottenham where Vardy was sub. And uh, Damari Gray, who's not a natural centre forward, you can see that, you know, many, many a supporter can see that from a mile away. He can fulfil a role possibly. But then, you know, to say, well, we have to have different options and we're looking to develop other areas well that's not the right area um you know if you've got an out and out center forward maybe give him another go but Jamie Vardy's Jamie Vardy he's fit he needs to play in a big game so that went against him as well and I think I'm not sure he just grasped the, the mentality of Leicester City to be honest he, he's got like a model of how football should be developed in his head all well and good but also, you know, you're making changes that the likes have just said there about, oh, we're developing for the future. But you needed to win games. You know, the Premier League as a manager, you don't get time for development if you're not winning games. So you have to find that balance. Brendan Rodgers does it superbly. You know, he is pretty much a complete package, really, you know, without being, um, you know, over-complimentary about Brendan. But, um, no, I think I think Claude Puel was... Uh, a valiant effort from him, but I think it was inevitable that his tenure would would end sooner rather than later, to be honest, because um, it's not about development. You know, that there's a role for that within a club in the under-23s, the stroke development squad, perhaps more suited at that level than actually at the, the cornerstone of the, the, of the Premier League, you know, where it really matters. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Matt, when you said about getting the identity of Leicester City because Brendan has certainly done that. He identified that he needed to get those senior players that Claude struggled to communicate with effectively. Um, and I don't think that had anything to do with his with his use of English. I think it was just his manner. Um, he didn't, and I think even if they spoke the same language, it would still be the same. He didn't communicate with them uh, effectively and um uh, but Brendan is a fantastic communicator he gets everybody on side and uh, he certainly got Jamie Vardy, Casper Smeichel and all those guys on side and 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 everybody else will follow those leaders in the camp. Yeah, that's right and it, it, you know Brendan Rodgers is very clever, isn't he? You know, he's very very cool, very smooth and he he, he knows how to treat footballers. He knows what they react to, he knows what makes them tick, he knows what they want to hear. Um, but he does it genuinely, I think, you know, and players can pick up on that as well. It's not something that he's learned out of the coaching book. There'll be little bits and pieces that he's picked up from the technical point of view and perhaps psychological point of view. But you've met him, Rob. Ian, I'm guessing you've met him to some degree. I have on numerous occasions. Um, you know, he, he's very impressive when you talk to him. Yeah, as a person as well, he, he's got time for everyone, more time than I thought he would have. Um, you know, for supporters, etc. It's full-on job, and but he's listen the pedigree and experience he's got. But you know, he, he's worked so hard 
to to understand all aspects of the job, you know, the coaching, management, the media. He ticks all the boxes, doesn't he? And um, you know, unfortunately, that wasn't the case with Claude. And I think that that's the thing, isn't it? That that Brendan's managed to move some of these older players out of the team and and even some of them out of the squad. But he's done it in a way that hasn't upset the apple cart. He's still using people like Fuchs and Morgan and they're still having a contribution. So it's achieved this sort of objective of reducing the age of the team and freshening it up, but still withholding that influence in there. And I think that, I think that was one of the big problems with Claude. Like, like Matt's just mentioned, I mean, I mentioned a few and then Matt mentioned a few. It's these marginal losses, isn't it? A few, di- few little things here and there have all, cu- all culminated into... The fact that it just was, it just simply wasn't wasn't working out. And I think that the way that we play the football now, it, it, we are now a possession-based team, which is what Claude wanted. But the way Brendan's got it set up, it's so much more possession with a purpose, and so much more attacking and, and interesting to watch. That it it just shows what was possible with with those players, and, and Brendan's just on a different level. So I wish Claude well, though, Rob. I mean, you know, some of the stuff that you see online and. When people start getting personal and derogatory to it, I just don't think that's necessary at all. I wish him well, and I think he's probably suited to the French league, but I can't see him getting another job in England again. No, I think um, finally, I think he's just played his part, hasn't he, in the evolution from the title winning side to the side that now looks very, very exciting for the future under Brendan Rodgers. And uh, he certainly played a part in that, but I think his departure has worked out best for all parties, hasn't he? He's gone to Senete and got them to a cup final before their league was finished. And, um, you know, Brendan's taken Leicester City to another level now as well. So all in all, we all move on. Thank you very much, guys, for joining us today. Another edition of 5001. Ian, thank you very much. And we'd love to have you on again uh, in the future. And Matt, as ever, thank you for all your pearls of wisdom. <laughs> Pleasure, Rob. Good to speak to you, Ian. Take care, mate. Thanks, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to check out our previous editions of 5000 to 1 and also read up on the uh, features that we discuss in these podcasts, we have a 90-day free trial at The Athletic, www.theathletic.com forward slash Lester Pod. Mm-hmm.